Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about self-awareness. And this topic is one that I think we all at some level believe we're doing pretty well at. (laughs) I think that when things are brought to our attention that we're not aware of, it's easy to be defensive and believe that perhaps we see more than we do. We all have blind spots. We all can do better in this area. It's definitely something that I am totally working on all the time. And it has improved my own relationship with myself and especially with my loved ones and people around me. But I am not under any illusion that I will ever arrive at complete self-awareness. But it's good things to work on. And thankfully, there are ways we can improve it. And today I'm joined with my co-host, which is my wife, Jody, And you guys heard from her in the last episode that we had. And she'll be joining us for a lot more episodes in the future. And so we'll do a formal introduction down the road. But it's just great to have her on. And I love hearing from her and her great insights and love sharing her with my audience. And I am really excited about this guest. She's fantastic. And she does a lot of work around self-awareness. In fact, she's got some online courses and some other resources to help people develop better self-awareness. And so her name is Jenny Romancic, and she is the owner and lead facilitator at the EQ School in Portland, Oregon, where she teaches online workshops and helps people develop emotional intelligence. And she does a lot of work around helping people build their emotional intelligence to strengthen their society, their communities. And she's been a professional educator for a number of years and helps people learn self-management, healing from trauma, and improving their relational development. And so the tools and the stuff that she shares are very applicable and ready to go. So I'm excited for you guys to get to know her and learn from her today on this episode of the podcast. So let's jump right in and talk about self-awareness with my guest, Jenny Romancic. Well, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So self-awareness, I mean, this topic for me is endlessly fascinating because I know that I have believed in many cases I thought I was being self-aware and then realized I was not being (laughs) self-aware. So it's just one of those topics that I just feel like I can't ever quit learning about because I have so many blind spots. We we all need it, even though we might think we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we all will always have blind spots, right? Yeah. Too. So like part of it is accepting. Right. We know everything. That's right. Yeah. That's right. How do you, uh, Jenny, how do you, you work a lot with this and teach a lot about it. Like what exactly, how would you define this, this whole concept of self-awareness? So I came to self-awareness as a topic through Daniel Goleman, who's a psychologist who wrote the book on emotional intelligence. He kind of popularized that term in the mid nineties and self-awareness is like the foundation of emotional intelligence. And so the way he describes it is it's being aware of and noticing your moods and your feelings, 
but also putting space in between yourself, like who you are and what your moods and feelings are. So you're also able to have thoughts about them. So you can feel yourself getting angry or upset, but also be able to recognize like, huh, I'm feeling angry. Hmm, I wonder what that's about, or I wonder what's at the core of this. So the self-awareness is like being in relationship with what's actually going on within you emotionally. Oh, I love that. You said that so succinctly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, so that's his part. And then in my workshops and what I add to it is definitely then also becoming aware of what are my needs? What are my values? What lights me up? What actually makes me feel like myself? I think those are parts of self-awareness as well. And then also being aware of like, what are my triggers? What are the things that like Mm -hmm. knock me off my path when I'm on it? What are the things that upset me really easily and starting to pay attention to like your patterns and your emotional patterns and what comes up for you? Because all of that is self-awareness too. Because if you don't see any of that, you can't actually like ask for what you need or bring your values into your life. If you don't know what they are, you're just kind of like, you know, swinging in the dark. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, this is such an interesting topic because... I mean, we can talk all day long about self-awareness and what it is, but how do you begin incorporating more of it for yourself? Yeah. Well, and it's funny, it was tied back to something you said earlier. There's a difference between reflecting and just like overthinking and being in your head all the time, which is something I talk a lot about too, because so many of us are overthinkers and think we're really reflective because we're just like spinning out, you know, in our heads (laughs) over and over. But reflection I think of is like more intentional and more like thinking like, well, what happened there? And how did I respond to it? And how, how can I learn from that going forward? Like, what was my need that wasn't being met there? Or like, did that actually give me energy the way that I wanted it to? So like thinking about things with intention, I think is being more reflective, which then helps us develop self-awareness. So reflective versus overthinking. What did you call it? I just, yeah, I just said reflection versus thinking or overthinking. Over, yeah. 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 Or like ruminating, probably yeah. just the spinning. spinning, Jody, spinning. Jody bought me that, a what? mug. What? That goes nowhere? Jody bought me a mug yeah. for my birthday that said, hold on, let me overthink this. <laughs> right. So I'm definitely the overthinker. I think we all do. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely have a gift for ruminating. And, but you can think it's productive. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Well, and I meet, I mean, I, the reason I say this is because I'm so familiar with it. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't be able to say that if I had, didn't have experience with it because there was a graduate program that I did a few years ago where we, were, we did a ton of intentional reflections alone and with other people. And it was like after those sessions, I was like, whoa, I just learned so much. Hmm, maybe just sitting in my head all the time. I'm not getting as much out of that <laughs> as when I approach it with intention and I approach it with like, what am I trying to learn here? And without judgment too, like mm-hmm. self-judgment. Mm-hmm. So is that the question you ask yourself to get into that space, to move from just the spinning out to something intentional is what am I trying to get at here? Well, and I guess it kind of depends on the topic, right? Okay. So I think if I'm, if I am like spinning out on something for me, I know I'll go to like, what is the need here? Like, what mm-hmm. am I trying mm-hmm. to, what am I trying to fill, you know, but what am I trying to solve? Like there's something I need. So why, if I'm spinning out on this, and emotionally just like staying stuck in a place, there's a need that's not being met. What is, what could that be for me? And that yeah. can, can often help me move forward. Okay. Yeah. I have another question about that process. At what point are you able to recognize that that's happening? Because I imagine, especially when you were first beginning, like it was so familiar and it was just how you always handled things. And so at what point 
does there, you know, do you find the opening? Yeah. Well, I think, and this comes back to another part of self-awareness too, is like being present more in our physical bodies and kind of reading our own Mm -hmm. physical cues. And so uh, when you're feeling anxious or like when you're not feeling like yourself, and then that's leading you to this place of spinning out, that's usually an indicator that I'm like, "Mm, this isn't really like serving me. Yeah. Not in a place of self-trust. I'm not in like a good place. So what am I trying to figure out here? What do I need? If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And, and, and my work with, with, uh, couples that are going through betrayal, the betrayed partners often, and in most cases, I, the couples I work with heterosexual couples, it's mostly women that are coming and seeking help for this. And so these women, Mm -hmm. that's why I'm just going to generalize for a minute here. When I'm working with them, they have such a hard time stepping out of that. It's a traumatic response. So they're, mm-hmm. it's like a survival thing and they're trying to wrap their head around it and can't quite close the loop and can't make sense of, and their thoughts don't feel productive. And, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's something about this overthinking that instinctively we sort of feel like is moving us somewhere. Is there ever a time where, where that actually goes somewhere where it actually can then turn into reflection. I mean, it seems like there's some, there's something instinctive we do about it. Is there any use in that at all in terms of just thinking, thinking, thinking about something? Well, you talked about so many good things there. You touched on a lot of things. And one of the things is, well, yes, I think it can get to a point when you start asking more productive questions. I don't like the word productive, but do you know what I mean? Questions that are actually leading us in in a more empowering direction. Sure. So, which sometimes we can stumble across (laughs) when we're in that place, but you know, it's more of a, a new pattern that I think we have to like kind of learn to develop. So but, real quick. So like, so what you're saying is like the thinking can sometimes maybe just in all the searching and thinking and checking can maybe lead us to maybe we grab onto something that gives us a little foothold or some traction. So, so there is some bent, it's movement, but it might, might, but, it, but, but then it changes direction when it becomes productive. It might. Point. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I teach a workshop also called let it go, which is on emotional self-management. Okay. <laughs> and so in that workshop, we look at when we're stuck in the dysregulation, like feeling really dysregulated and we go into our pattern. We all have patterns when yeah. we get triggered, you know, whether, and we have thought patterns that we go to and emotional patterns and emotions that we kind of vacillate between. And so like part of self-awareness is being able to recognize what your pattern looks like. So you can see when it starts to happen. Oh, I love it. But the ways to get out of it, I mean, there's a few different ways in summer more helpful than others. And one is like to numb it in some way, which is what most, we all have mechanisms. Oh, which yeah. We numb, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's TV or food or drugs or whatever it is that you're using. But what I recommend for a lot of people is like when you start to recognize that what's going on is changing your physiology in some way. So whether that's like getting up and going for a walk, drinking water, if you haven't had a good meal in a while, like eat something or like exercising something that actually like moves your body because it will shake you up kind of out of that, that space. And then I don't know if you've ever ever had that experience of then you can come back afterward and see whatever was happening a little bit differently. But as a self-awareness is that's what I love helping people with. Like, what are your patterns? Where do you go when you're triggered or when you're in that really dysregulated state? And then you're just kind of stuck in this, stuck in this place that doesn't feel good. But our pattern is in some way, shape or form that has helped us in some way before. So that's why we go to it even though it's usually not, it's usually not very helpful. I'm not sure if that's making sense. Yeah. yeah I love that. I mm-hmm. love how simple it is just to change something in your physiology. That's something that 
everybody, the minute we recognize that we're in that stuck, non-self-serving place, that we can do something specific to change physiology. And that, that really, there's a message there that the majority of the time, that overthinking place does not lead us to somewhere better. That mm-hmm. that's part of the pattern that we have to stop and move in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the changing your physiology doesn't like solve the issue in the moment. No. It just kind of helps you break that pattern. And then, and then that's where I think it's helpful to get help in some way. If you don't know like where else to go or how else to talk about it, whether it's to find a therapist or someone to work with. But when you catch yourself in that cycle of like, this isn't going anywhere good, changing your physiology can help you, I think. Mm-hmm. at least get out of it mentally for a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's fantastic because sometimes I catch myself, but then I'm right back in it. Just the awareness that that's happening, then I just go, yeah, I'm doing the thing. And then I just keep doing the thing. So. Yeah. And I mean, are you familiar with the four stages of learning? Uh, I'm not sure. Tell uh, us. Yeah, tell us. That's Unconscious not- incompetence thing. Yeah. This is like one of my favorite tools and I teach it everywhere all the time because I think it's so helpful, especially when we're trying to change emotional patterns or we're going through something really big and hard and we're trying to learn new tools. And so it's called the four stages of learning. And the way that I share it is usually like, (laughs) or the example that I give is when I was in high school in the late (laughs) nineties and we used, (laughs) used to use the word retarded because that's what kids said. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we didn't really recognize what was behind that. So I was in a stage of unconscious incompetence. So I was performing a behavior that I didn't realize didn't serve me or anyone else, but I was in it and I didn't know any better. And I was just saying the word. And so then I moved into a stage of conscious incompetence because I'm sure it was my mom at some point who was probably like, oh, Jenny, don't say that. You know, and so then I'm like, oh, I'm aware. Maybe I shouldn't be using this word. It's offensive to some people, whatever. I probably am not going to say it around adults but I'm going to continue to say it. So conscious incompetence is when we are still engaging in a pattern, behavior, something, and we can see that there are other ways to do it, but we're not ready to change yet. We're like, we're not motivated. And then you move into conscious competence. And so I had a friend who had a sister with Down syndrome who like heard us at the lunch table one day and she came and she yelled at us and she was like, Hey, it really hurts my feelings. Like, don't you you guys love my sister? When you say that you're talking about her and it makes me really sad. I was like, Oh, well, I love her and I love her sister. So for me, that gave me the motivation. I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to say this word anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I moved, I moved into conscious competence and that's the place where it's really hard where you're like, oh, that's, mm, yep. <laughs> I don't like that. Or you say it and you catch yourself and you're like, oh, you know, that's that space where it takes so much mental energy to try to change whatever you're changing. And then now I'm in a stage of unconscious competence, which means I don't think it's not a part of my vocabulary, vocabulary anymore. And I don't have to think about it. But I love sharing that process with people because it helps us understand it takes time to change our behaviors. And so like what you're describing of like, yep, I'm noticing I'm in the pattern. You know, you can be in that, you can vacillate between the unconscious, no, conscious incompetence and, and conscious competence for a while. You can go back and forth between like, I'm trying and I'm learning. And this takes a lot of energy and effort, you know, but I will eventually get to a place where maybe it won't feel quite so hard. Mm-hmm. So I just love that to help us that have so more good. compassion for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Super helpful. Yeah. And yeah, just to go easy on ourselves and other people Mm -hmm. as we're trying to learn things. And yeah, because other people's learning process can be super triggering when you feel like they don't care. They clearly don't care, you know, and it's really they they may genuinely be in the place of unconscious incompetence. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Like they really, truly. truly may have no idea that, th- that, that they're hurting you. And even after yep. one time of explaining it, they still may be totally unaware. I mean, I, I've seen that happen so many times. Yeah, absolutely. So that's and helpful. like, yeah. and someone might be kind of aware, but they don't have the motivation yet to actually mm-hmm. change their behavior. And when yeah. you recognize like, you know, it's like learning when you, that process works for like learning to ride a bike. And it's like, think about how hard it was. <laughs> when you first tried to learn how to ride the bike, you know, and, or drive a car, like so much energy goes into it. So you need, you need motivation that helps you actually change your behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So self-awareness, it's not, it's not just a matter of just saying like, okay, I'm just going to start paying attention to things. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not that simple because there's a lot of things to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it is something we develop, but but I, I do, I don't know, I do believe that in my own life when I've decided that I want to start paying attention to things, I do see more mm-hmm. and that, that definitely helps. But I mean, is this something that, I guess, are there certain people that just sort of do this better nor naturally have you seen, or is this something that we all really have to cultivate and develop? Is this something that really is maybe just not natural for pretty much most of us? Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily natural. Okay. I don't think people are just born with self-awareness. I think people are probably born just with higher levels of, you know, I don't know, <laughs> empathy. And we're, we all have different like skill sets, yeah, you know, and yeah. different like tendencies toward things, but it also really depends on the family we grew up in and like uh, yeah. how people around us modeled what it looked like. It definitely had some people in my family who were very not self-aware, you know, and, and also sometimes you have to become hyper aware if other people in your family are not because you're picking up on things or having to take care of things that they're not. So there, I don't know. I think that there's so much to what happened in our childhood in those formative years that will help us either feel okay with self-awareness too, because it's also really vulnerable, I think, in a lot of ways to look at how to like, not only like what drives me and what makes me, what makes me kind of tick, but also looking at like, how do I affect other people can feel kind of scary and vulnerable if, oh yeah if, it's, if you've gotten the message that you hurt people or you're bad or something, you don't want to go there and you don't want to look at that. So it requires some vulnerability, being willing to see things you might that might be uncomfortable. Yeah. And some people might ask like, so why would I want to do self-awareness work? <laughs> how's yeah, that? Gonna, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how, well, I think it's how you bring things into your life that actually are in alignment with who you are. And that's how you feel more connected to others who are like you, who share your values. That's mm-hmm. kind of how you find your people and find the things that actually make you feel like you and feel good because there's so many conflicting values and so many things going on in society that are pushing us in all these different directions. And when we're constantly trying to live by other people's standards, it's incredibly draining. So figuring out what your, what your standards are and what actually makes you feel good and healthy and balanced takes work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, if there was ever a reason for it, I mean, you could certainly say, well, if I'm more self-aware, then I'll be better in my relationships, which you know is healthy and important. But I love what you're saying that that even just self-awareness starting out from a place of what do I even like? What do I feel? How do I operate? What are my patterns? Those are all things that, I mean, I don't know how you can navigate life in a really happy, peaceful way without having that dashboard. Mm-hmm. And it can be really scary if you haven't been, you know, if you've been trying to do what you're supposed to do forever. And then you realize like, oh man, like the career I'm in, doesn't fit with my values or the partnership I'm in doesn't really fit with who I am. Like that's part of why it's scary to look at it because you might find that where I am doesn't actually Mm -hmm. feel that good. So that means I have to do all these other things. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So 
where would you have someone start, Jenny? Like if, if, if someone's going to commit to this and they're listening to this today and they're like, okay, I get some feedback that I don't like, or my life isn't going where I want it, or I don't feel peaceful, whatever the impetus may be. And they sort of have this moment right now where they're like, I, I think I want to work on self-awareness. Where do you start? I always have people start with, actually have people do energy kind of tracking exercises, like just looking at your days and your weeks for a little while to see like, well, what gives me energy and what takes it away? And that's not only to, to actually look at that data, but also to just become more connected with your body and your mind and your feelings, because I think many of us live very disconnected from ourselves and how we feel about things, especially people pleasers, mm -hmm. you know, someone brings something up and you just want to make sure they're okay. So when we're practice, I have people like hourly <laughs> practice, just like check in for a second. How does that feel? Did it give me energy? So checking in with ourselves and our bodies and getting more in touch with ourselves is I think the first step. And I also have people start with like, well, what motivates me? What brings me joy? And looking at that piece of it. So we start to get a sense of what I want to bring in. And then I have us go into, then we start to look at triggers. Like what are the things that launch me into a bad place? What are the things that, that don't work for me? And then after that, we look at boundaries. Like how do we start setting some boundaries around? And I also describe boundaries a little bit differently because boundaries more as like the container that holds space for the things that keep us feeling balanced and like ourselves. So they're not just about saying no, it's actually more about like, here's the guidelines for keeping my life feeling healthy and good. I like that. That, that can feel less aggressive. Oh yeah. And it, yeah, it seems a little more holistic mm -hmm. than as narrow as you got to say no. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so a lot of us hear that and I'm like, well, that's also not like an invitation to relationship either. Because sometimes, as you were talking about before with like giving people feedback and they really can't hear it, sometimes it's like they're not intentionally trying to cross a boundary and having the conversation, it can be more helpful if it's like, hey, here's how, or here's what would make me feel comfortable. Here's what I need from you. Like approaching the boundary that way instead of like, you can't do that to me. Mm -hmm. is a different conversation. You look like you're going to ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about this from just having been very much a people pleaser. How in the process of developing this, how can somebody who, who sees that they have these tendencies and these patterns, how can they begin to sort out what's going on here when it's always what's going on out there that speaks the loudest? Where does that really begin? Well, I do think that that is beginning to incorporate activities in time for you. And that's, that's the starting to figure out like what gives me energy, what are my values, what's important to me, and then trying to create more time and space for those things. And that actually helps you, I think, create more boundaries because then, well, as a side note, I had a woman once who was like, I'm so bad with boundaries. I'm just terrible with them all the time with everybody. But I go running every morning and my husband and kids know if mom doesn't go running, then she's going to kill someone. And I was oh, like, yeah. that's a boundary. That's a, that is a boundary. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a, the reframe and thinking of it as like not saying no and having to be in conflict all the time, but you can think of it as like, the more I know and understand and pay attention to what gives me energy and what makes me happy and what feels safe to me, the more I'm going to hold space for those things. And then I'm going to set, you know, hold boundaries around that. And people are welcome to join, or maybe sometimes they're not, but you know, that, that helps you get more in touch. And the more the, the better you feel as you're doing that, the motivation increases to hold more space for those things. Okay. So I love that. And 
I'm, I'm totally going to practice some of that energy checking on a regular basis. But I'm also thinking that right behind the other door feels like, how do I go from here and not paying any attention to where I'm at and, and how I show up in the world and, and that that matters to only caring about, I know that's a huge swing, mm-hmm. but that for me in my own journey, it's been a big deal to, to move in that direction because I feel like, well, the, how is the right answer for me then just to, to become more self-centered? So tell, share your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, cause I think, well, first and foremost, there's no like perfection, right? This is going to be the, like move at those four stages of learning. That's like, you're going to, you're going to try things and some of them are going to work and you're going to try some things and you're going to be like, Oh no, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're going to, it's going to be a process of like trying and just seeing what happens for a while. And also it is reframing selfishness. I also think of selfishness a lot of the time as like, Oh, that's somebody who doesn't have their needs met. <laughs> a lot of the times mm-hmm. people who show up and are really selfish in some way, shape or form, there's a need not being met. So they have to put themselves first. And so hmm. there's a lot more to that, <laughs> but I, I don't necessarily, I don't think self-centeredness is a bad thing because it's that same thing of when you feel, when you don't feel resentful and when you don't feel, when you have energy, you actually can show up better for other people when you can. And this is that process of figuring out, like I have children, I have family, I have all this stuff, other people I need to show up for. What's the minimum that I need <laughs> or what, you know, what, what's the, what's the balance that I can strike. And so in the beginning, mm-hmm. it's going to feel messy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of it. That's yes, the, it the is. conscious confidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So this is kind of the basic, the, the, the analogy of the oxygen mask in the airplane. Like this is, yeah. this is, if you're going to show up for other people, this is that first step of, so like Jody, like you're saying, like, it's not swinging from, I'm so aware of everyone else and I'm not breathing versus I'm just spending over here enjoying the oxygen, letting everyone (laughs) choke out. But I think that's the fear. I think that's the swing back and forth, which is, oh, I have to be available for everyone now, or I'm only going to like, I have to like protect myself and everybody else can just like take care of themselves. And I don't have any responsibility or anything to anybody, which obviously a balanced life is one where we're accessible and responsive to people, but also have our feet under us. And like you said, I love the way you put it, like, you know, like we get to enjoy some peace as well. We get to have mm-hmm. our feet under us and feel centered and protected. And it's also great for other people because when you set that standard, they feel like it's more okay for them to be that way too. But then on the other, on the flip side of that too, when you set boundaries with people, you've never set boundaries before. They often don't like it. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I love, I love that process. And so can we go back to something you said earlier? I, when you were talking about energy, mapping. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the phrase you used. Tracking. Tracking. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I just want to use your words. That's good. Energy mm-hmm. tracking. And so is that a, that's a very formal thing where you would write down and just map out high, low energy. And what would that look like in a practical sort of concrete way for somebody who's like, yeah. oh, energy track? I, I have a little, well, the thing is everyone does it differently. So I also, I try to give people options because like I created like a little worksheet for people. And some people love it because they love to write things down. I would never do that myself. Oh. So, you know, we whatever works for you, you have, that's a part of the self-awareness is knowing am I the type of person who does this or that. But so what I have people do is even just like putting an alarm in your phone or on your watch or whatever that goes off, you know, once an hour or something, or just ch- starting to build the habit 
of, and it only has to be for like 30 seconds. You know, this doesn't have to be like, I'm going to need to go do a 10 minute exercise. You can just like stop, take a few breaths, do just a light body scan and just think like, how did that make me feel? (laughs) And just check in and you don't, if you want to write it down so you can see patterns, I actually do recommend that because that can be really helpful. So when I do this in my class, I've had people come back with some seemingly small things that have actually made really big differences. So one woman who she's like, I always used to take my showers in the morning and I'm all stressed out because I'm like thinking about my day and da da da. And she's like, and I noticed, oh, I actually feel like almost more stressed, like running out of the shower. So she's like, I'm going to move my showers to my evening. And now I just get to like, enjoy the water running over me. And it's like a, like a calming thing before I go to bed. She's like, just paying attention to what gives or takes away energy can help you like make these little tweaks in your life that help you then get a little bit more energy or just a little bit less. Or another guy who was like, I realized that after I do those, those chores and those things that I hate, I feel so good. <laughs> so he's like, that's actually motivation yeah. to like do my laundry and stuff. Because I realized I've never, he's like, I've never consciously thought about how good I feel afterward. But now that I know that mm-hmm. that's information that helps me. So they don't have to be like mind blowing things at first, but you, those little things add up to how we feel. Right. Mm-hmm. What a huge difference. And, and I, I love that because I know in my own life, like so, so many times I can blame other people for the energy suck or the, the things that I'm experiencing when really I just need to make an adjustment that might not work for them or might not work. You know, I might fix some, we have to kind of figure it out, but like what you might, you know, what one might think is another person's impact on us might just be something that we're not aware of in terms of yeah. how we, how we tick, how we operate. And that's what I mean with reflection too, yeah. because in, in all of those little, these little reflection exercises where, you know, you have specific questions that kind of help you, you know, look at an incident can help mm-hmm. you take information away that you just couldn't see before, but then seems really obvious. Cause you're like, well, when I lay these things down next to each other, duh, that makes sense that that drains me, you know? And it, it I mean, even someone else who was like, I hate doing dishes. So I asked my partner if he would mind if I just clean the bathroom and he does the dishes. And she was like, oh my God, I'm like so much less resentful all the time now because he just does the dishes. And it's like, you've just, just paying attention to these things that we do know on some level, but just starting to pay attention to them can make a big difference. And then like those little things, that's what builds our confidence and our self-trust toward the bigger things and the bigger boundaries and the bigger, you know, the, the things that we're like a little bit more scared to talk about. But but building self-trust is such an important part of this work too, of developing your emotional intelligence and of having the conversations that you need to have with other people is first, you have to be okay with having those conversations with yourself mm-hmm. internally. So self-trust, like just trusting your gut, tr- trusting sort of what's coming up for you, like having confidence that it's okay for you to feel this way and 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 then advocate for your, for what you're thinking or feeling. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, Definitely. Because it again comes back to so many of us are so disconnected from our own energy and our own needs and our own whatever that other people saying something can make you question it really quickly. And then you just, you know, give it up, give up your time. Okay. I guess I don't need it after all. But if we're spending more time, like, no, I actually know that I'm going to be resentful if I do that. Okay. Uh, You know, you're more likely, you trust your gut instinct on something because now you've actually spent some time in that space and you've learned more about again, I'm going to feel resentful or, uh, no, I know that's really important to me and it's going to actually make me happy. So could you please show up for that or whatever it is? So the self-trust is knowing yourself better and knowing what your actual needs are and feeling a bit more confident about, I know what what might happen if I don't end up giving myself this time. 
Mm-hmm. It helps and us ask for it. I noticed that I that I start to recognize some other, I'm just going to say invisible cues that come with that, that the more I develop that, that the more I sense if an opportunity comes up and I just have, I have an immediate sense that, that that's not going to work for me. There are things in my body that are happening there. And then the more accustomed I am to that meaning something to me and that I've responded to it before and it's worked out, then when it comes yes. up, I can go, yeah, I may not even have a good explanation, but I feel certain that I need to turn down that offer or whatever the case may be. hundred percent. Yep. you you get more. And that's the thing is our body is always sending us cues like that. And so a lot of us are really disconnected from it. It's kind of funny. One of mine is like during the pandemic, I reached for the phone to order pizza a lot when I was feeling really uncomfortable and lonely. And it took me a really long time to put that together though. Before finally I was like, oh, I reach for DoorDash when I'm like feeling emotionally not great. Okay, maybe I should stop and think about what else is going on. I mean, I've gotten much better at that. But it's like even learning our patterns of what we reach for when we're not feeling great is like, yeah. Oh, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe I shouldn't know. Maybe I should look at what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's kind of two pieces that it's like, let's stop spending all of my money on pizza and maybe eating a little healthier or whatever. Nothing against pizza, but you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and there, so there's the stopping the, the pattern, but then there's this other piece of then confronting the discomfort. I mean, so that's another step. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's not the, stopping the behavior is not the end of it. You know, we, yeah, you know. We often in, in recovery circles, when I'm working with people recovering from addictions or things like that, or compulsive behaviors, there's that saying of like, oh, you know, sobriety is very different than recovery. Recovery is feeling, it's connecting, it's such mm-hmm. a different animal. And well, I, I think sobriety is a way easier. <laughs> well, that's when you talk about like, why wouldn't anybody want to be self-aware? It's like, well, <laughs> for those reasons. <laughs> Good hard work. <laughs> we're going to see some things that, you know, and that's the thing is like, that's the other hard thing is a lot of it can't be unseen when you, once you start to see it. Oh, that's so true. And, and then you eventually have to do something about it. So that's also in those four stages of learning too. like it, the motivation builds over time and then you'll finally maybe start changing. And I know, I know in my own journey of, of self-awareness is I've, you know, as let's say my, you know, Jody reflects something, which has only happened once or twice in our 25 <laughs> years of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> like once or twice a day. <laughs> anyway, when she reflects something back, like I, I have to then manage sometimes the shame that comes up or the guilt or the, the feeling that I should have known that, or how come I didn't see that? Or, you know, the, the self-talk that might be really harsh and critical or even the, the blame back to her or other people as I might try and deflect that or get that away from me. There's so many maladaptive strategies to deal with when self-awareness is right at my doorstep. And I have, there has to be a lot of integrity around what I do with that because it's just as harmful for me to beat myself up and act like I should know something that was unconscious yes. mm-hmm. or maybe that's so rutted, that's so ingrained that I, it's going to take a minute to really un, undo it. Or of course, the integrity to you know hammer down on somebody who is maybe just having their own authentic reaction and we have to just look at that and understand with compassion the impact I'm having on them. I mean- this work is going to surprise us. That's been my experience with it. Yeah. And I think it, for me, it's taken a lot of gentleness and self-compassion to come back, take a deep breath and say, okay, that's right. I'm a human. I can work through that. You know, you mm-hmm. just, oh, okay. And that is why I think that forgiveness is such an important part of this work too. Oh, um, yeah. 
Well, and just like even in our whole cultural narrative right now of like, it's just so important for getting us to be a big part of the process because so many of us are afraid to look at what's there because we're afraid that we're going to find that well, we're just a bad person and, you know, or we're not going to be able to change it. So, and it's like when we cultivate this environment of like, it's okay, we're all going to mess up. We're all going to do things that hurt each other. We're going to do things that hurt ourselves. Like when that's the baseline, it's easier to then enter the space of like, well, what actually happened and how can I do better? Um, and realize that growth is possible, but that's what I get. Yeah. <laughs> like accountability is different than punishment. I wish we were a little bit more like accountable. Yeah. You know, in that Cancel culture, stuff. right? It's like, you can't dare make a mistake because you'll get canceled. Um, we can cancel ourselves. Like we, we shut down. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of self-cancellation and that's yeah. really sad. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Other questions, Jody? I just can see your wheels turning. <laughs> I kind of scrolled off a moment in my mind. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yeah. There's this comedian that we love, Gary Goleman, and he just has a part of a bit where he gets concerned to look at himself because then he'll have to see that he is the loser that his family believes he is. <laughs> <laughs> I just resonate with that. <laughs> when, yeah, when I really that's have to risk. be brave and yep. take a serious look, it is so scary because I don't want the proof to be right there that I am the total idiot that. Everybody. That I'm afraid they think I am. <laughs> that, you know, and then that gets into like shadow work stuff, right? Which oh, is like yeah. looking at the, it's funny, that's been part of my own journey, especially in the last few weeks is being like, yes, I can be reactive. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm going to say things and sometimes I'm going to snip and that's, I'm still lovable. I'm still wonderful. It's okay. And I, I almost feel like I've been less reactive by just allowing mm-hmm. that, that a part, it's a part of me. It's going to yeah. happen sometimes. I love how you said that, that that if we just let that be the baseline, that mm-hmm. we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go too far, we're gonna come undone. There are gonna be problems. We're gonna hurt ourselves and other people, even despite our best efforts. But we'll keep working with it. Yeah, <laughs> if we can start from there, I think that can alleviate a lot of just personal pain and fear. Yep. And I know I've had like I don't know. I used to have such a hard time with public speaking. I have such like some perfectionist stuff, you know, and being able to be like, yep, I'm going to say dumb things that don't make sense sometimes. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. It's part of me. Oh, well. Right. This is not yep. my inauguration speech. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. And yeah. if it, and even if it was even your inauguration it, yeah. speech, this would probably make you more relatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't mean anything about who I am. No, too. exactly. The, exactly. Thing. So sometimes looking at all that stuff that we feel so afraid of being is actually the, the most freeing. So yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. interesting. So interesting. So it's, connected. It's so easy too. I think, especially again, so much of my audience is dealing with some kind of a betrayal. And I think it's so easy to keep the focus on what the other person needs to change because they hurt you. And it can feel almost unfair to have to do self-awareness work. Mm-hmm. It can feel kind of like, well, like, Hey, don't give me a bunch of stuff to work on because you just ran over me. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of the betrayed partners that I work with, like they have to sort of come to themselves honestly and say, okay, if I get vulnerable and have to own the fact that I, you know, I have to be more self-aware and then all the stuff that comes up underneath that, like we've been talking about may mean that I have to be accountable to the person that hurt me may mean that I have to like look at some patterns that I've been putting off changing that really got escalated hardcore in this interaction. Yeah. And I just, 
I'm just curious what you would say to them. What would you say to these partners that are feeling really run over, but maybe they're not acting their be- in their best self or they they feel maybe torn or at odds with like, how much of my own work do I need to do in this process when I'm protecting myself or worse risk of getting hurt or being too vulnerable? What would you say to them about their own self-awareness work? Well, it, it would lead me somewhere a little different, which yeah. would be like looking at stories too, mm. because- Oh, man, our story, that's such an, I think such a fascinating thing. And that's such a big part of the let it go workshop too, is our stories really keep us in, keep us stuck in so many different ways mm. about like, I'm the victim here. I'm da, 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 da. And that's going to keep you in a place where you can't forgive or heal or grow or find what else is, is happening in that situation. And so, I don't know we are narrative creatures and everything we do is based in like a story that we create that we fill in with context with our own, whatever history, if there's not context there. Right. And so mm-hmm. what I would say is like, I would get curious about the other person's story and see like, what's their narrative in this and what's going on. This is not my specialty, by the way, <laughs> it's your specialty, but I think in conflict, a lot of the time it's usually conflict comes from a place of a need not being met. Mm-hmm. And so that to me would be like, well, what was that person's story and what need wasn't being met for them that they went and did this other thing? Cause it's not just like, I would be curious to find out what the narratives are there and if they can open up the narratives and see if there's other things to look at. And so that means acknowledging in the self-awareness around, I have a story mm-hmm. and I have a way in which I've centered myself. And if I loosen my grip on that, that means I'm going to be able to see this differently and be able to take, feel differently and take something different away from it. But a lot of times we don't want to loosen our grip on our story, our perception of it. Mm, man, that takes some courage, doesn't it? It does. That's a hard, I mean, and I, yeah, and I mean, I appreciate what you're saying there because I think that that work is where a lot of people sort of hit the crossroads. It's like we work on safety, right? Dealing with personal safety, dealing with, you know, having the dust settle and after the betrayal, there's a lot of steps to get to safety and kind of have things stabilize. But mm-hmm. then there is that moment of like, how am I going to move forward with this person in relationship? How am I going to rebuild intimacy and trust and connection? And I think Mm -hmm. it does come down to what you're talking about. I think it really does come into this place of, am I willing to like see them and their struggle and see myself and like start to get into these narratives? That's more advanced work for sure. It is. But I think a lot of people stop short of that. I think a lot of people feel like, okay, the dust has settled. I think I'm safe, but I'm still going to believe this thing and maybe keep this person you know, in, in this sort of metaphorical doghouse or keep myself stuck in this victim role or whatever and not really grow anymore. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a missed opportunity is what I'm hearing you say, that there's a lot, that's where the real courage and growth is going to happen. Absolutely. I, yeah. And I have a little, a little anecdote. I have a mentor. I think she's 77 now. And that's a great age she, for a mentor, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, she's, <laughs> and she's just a phenomenal human being who's yeah. done so many things. And I was visiting her down in the Bay Area. It was a couple of years ago. And we did something and she dinged her car like on one of those big yellow concrete things. I don't know. She opened it. She dinged it pretty badly. And we got out because we were going, we were actually going to go run a workshop together. And one of her friends just happened to be walking down the street and they were like, oh, they're like, well, you know, it's like your silver jewelry. Like it doesn't look good until it's banged up a little bit anyway. Right. And <laughs> she was like, but then we did our workshop, whatever, we come back. And as we we're driving home, she was like, it's like your silver jewelry. It's all right. It looks better when it's banged up anyway. And I love that, like, as a 77-year-old woman who has lived a long life, done really amazing things, 
she's still open to different perspectives and different stories and different ways of looking at things. Mm. And it like, you know, it would changed how she approached that because it could have ruined our day, you know, in many ways. And she was like, okay, okay. I can see how this is just, wow. It's a different way to look at it. And yeah, reframing is really hard to do, especially when we're so close to something, but I think it can be our savior sometimes too, is recognizing that there are so many different ways to look at anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, and I think it, this ties beautifully back into your original comment about energy, because mm-hmm. the reframing can bring a new energy and it, yeah. it can be something that aligns better with our personal values. And so we Definitely. can we can find like a lot of that hope in looking at in moving to a different space and not just clinging to our meaning. Absolutely. And then the other thing I just want to add too, because, you know, there's a lot of critique around like toxic positivity and just like pretending there's not feelings there and just looking at it in a different way. And and that's not what I'm trying to say, because I also think it's really important to like, when you feel the energy of a feeling, when you feel really frustrated, like you can't just think that away. Like, I think the other piece of it is allowing yourself to be like, yep, I feel frustrated and turning off all the stories you know, and just being like, I'm going to locate that frustration and just like feel it for a few minutes. And then I'm going to come back and see like how I can reframe. So I also think it's just so important for us to feel the energy of emotions in our body. I love that. Mm -hmm. And to kind of disconnect it from the story instead Mm -hmm. of having the narrative just run away with the feeling. Exactly. Because that's what we do. We, that's when we get really stuck is that it's like, well, I feel bad because of this. So then I keep feeling bad and it's like, I feel it really big and I need to cry. So I'm going to like just quiet my mind and what I like to do is try to like find the feeling in my body, mm-hmm. whether it's anger or sadness mm-hmm. or whatever, and like just focus on that and then come back to it. So lots of different mm-hmm. strategies for dealing with big emotions. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jenny, you're a treasure trove of resources. I just yeah. love it. There's so yeah. much here. It feels like we just thank you. Just barely got the tip I of feel the like iceberg we've got and all 10 more episodes, so many gems. But, but we'll probably just need to send people over to your workshops because that sounds like you've got a lot of this stuff already. Tell us about some of the work you've produced, what you're doing, so my listeners can know. Yeah. So I teach live workshops in small groups, and each one is usually five or six weeks long. And we get together, and I love doing it as group work because I think it's oh. so important for us to be in relationship with others as we're doing it. And so there's a lot that we do to make it very safe and private. But so I do a self awareness workshop live, we do this, the let it go, the emotional self management. And then I have a relationship management one where we talk a lot about conflict and feedback and how to receive feedback and, you know, how to create connection with people. And then I'm turning those workshops into online workshops, like self-paced ones. So at least the content is there. That's excellent. Yeah. Give people options. Yeah. Because I also find that a lot of my clients tend to be somewhat anxious, somewhat overthinkers who then don't we're afraid of signing up with people that they don't know. <laughs> so I'm yeah. um, trying to give them more options as well. Yeah. That's so accommodating. I love that. So, and uh, people can find you at the eqschool.co. Yep. Right. That's it. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Yeah. And, and down the road, I'd love to have you back on. I mean, this is, this is just so yeah. fantastic. And I'm sure our listeners will have questions and responses to this. Yeah. It was a joy talking with you too. Yeah. 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 Too. Thanks so much. It's just fantastic. Right up our alley and, you know, we, uh, it's too bad you're over in Portland. We could just <laughs> swing by and have lunch and keep talking, but 
just really maybe someday i i do my family my family lives in chicago so i do drive across the country at least once Ooh, a year fun. so i've never come through we'll have to meet up for lunch yep we're right on i-15 we'd love to see you so Anyway, thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for helping out today with uh, this great conversation and mm-hmm. all the great resources you have. I just think it's going to be such a great help to my audience. Yes. Thank you again. You can learn more about Jenny and the great work that she's doing on her website, which is theeqschool.co. I'll put a link in the show notes there. You can also find her on social media and uh, just really want to encourage you to go check out her resources. And so she's got a lot of great things going on. So thank you, Jenny, for joining me and my wife on the podcast. It was so great talking to you and love the work that you're doing. And of course, for all of you out there, if you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me at Jeff Stewart and also on my website, From Crisis to Connection, where I've got online courses on rebuilding trust, strengthening marriages, all kinds of great stuff, past episodes of this podcast, my weekly relationship column, and so on. And I'm pretty active on social media and would love to connect with you there. So drop me a line. Let me know what you think and would love for you to share this information on the podcast with other people. There are so many people out there who could use great information. And I think we've got some pretty awesome guests on here. So please spread the word. Let people know that this is out there as a resource. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Mm -hmm.